The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Reforming Business Podcast. Join Gary and Nathan as they reignite your passion for God and business. This is the Reforming Business Podcast, a weekly show in which we interview Christian leaders on issues of the marketplace, economics, agriculture, really driving around the issues of Christians in business ownership. We want to equip you to effectively reform the marketplace in the United States of America and around the world. All right. Well, uh, welcome here to Reforming Business Podcast. Number five, the game plan is to do one podcast a year. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, we wanted to just say what's up, you guys. We are uh, kicking off a whole new start to the Reforming Business Podcast. I'm here with Nathan. Hello. And uh, We're back. Yeah, we're back. We're ready to hit this hard. Uh, We have a new episode. We have an interview today with John Crawford. Uh, But before we jump into that, we just wanted to give you a quick recap of what's been happening over our last episode, which was with David Goodman in episode number four, and that was back in December. So wow. we have basically had a a half a year off here, and uh, we there's been a lot going on. So uh, I guess Nathan, let's start with you. If you want to just kind of give a quick overview of what's been what's been going down. Well, just same as you, just busy. I mean, we we honestly got overwhelmed. I think with uh, we both own our own businesses. Uh, things I know for you have really picked up. Um, same with me, mine is mainly seasonal, but just ramping up for that and just, that's just nonstop. But I know every time we talk, we talk about this podcast. We talk about all the opportunities that are out there. We talk about the things that we're actually about to let you guys know that we've been planning and uh, sort of a system or, or like a business sure. we're trying to put together that's going to be uh, more than just beneficial in the way of information. Yep. Um, uh, I'll let Gary just kind of jump into that. Yeah, there's I mean, so much. yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff. You know, with anything, the, the value of the business starts primarily with the quality of the product, which is something we are going to continue to grow and refine as we get new equipment and as we try to figure out the equipment that we have. So there's some hurdles there in working with other organizations, different sponsors, people that are involved. They see the value in this. And so we want to provide a valuable product for Christians who are really struggling with owning a business. Either they have one or they want one and they just don't think they can do it. Well, the reality is you can and excuses are irrelevant unless you're not competent. We want to help you finally achieve that goal of business ownership. So we're going to have all kinds of different ways to do that. We're going to have a private Facebook group with um, some forums. We have a private forum on our on our website at reformingbiz.com. We are going to have, we're going to be active on Facebook. We're going to, our Instagram account, right. motivational stuff, Twitter. We're going to have a membership area, all kinds of different resources. So we really want to just come alongside as many Christians as we can and impact them and impact the culture economically. So Exactly, yeah. What I keep coming back to every time you and I talk, um, it's just helping Christians, helping Christian businesses become, what I said to you before, staples in their community. That means thinking beyond their business, thinking about their neighbors, about the businesses around them, and how they can, be, they can become indispensable. 
Right. Like they, they grow in their influence and in their product and, and, and so large yeah. that their voice has to be heard. Yeah. And, and, and if their voice is coming out with a biblical worldview, right. <laughs> you know I mean, they, they can start to impact their culture, the people around them, and just do great things. And, and if we can be a part of that in any way. Yep. And, and we all know from an economic perspective that the culture is going to be making a cross from a cry to handouts to the incapabilities of the government to provide that. You can yeah. only tax people so many times before they're, they just, things break. So we need to be prepared for that as Christians. There are going to be people who are going to be in need, and this is really part of discipleship. So we need to be preparing that. Business isn't simply the end goal. Discipling the nations is. Yeah. Business is the vehicle by which we are going to do that. Right. And so if you're, if you're contemplating starting your own business and you need motivation, this is the podcast that's going to help you do that. We are thoroughly reformed in our views of, of Scripture, and obviously how you define reformed can be nuanced to yeah. a bit, uh, but we'll just say biblically reformed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, uh, and we really want a robust way to think about business ownership. So I'm excited. I know Nathan's excited. This, this episode today with John Crawford's exciting because we're going to talk about covenantal faithfulness and covenantal fruitfulness. And uh, he talks about this as well in his podcast, that we are really going to be uh, in the next couple generations in a prime spot to begin to disciple the nations. Right, yeah, we have to be future-oriented, especially as business owners. Right. And even more so as Christians. We have to understand that the foundations of the world around will be shaken. Yeah. That if it's not planted by God, it will be uprooted. And so we have to be prepared to rebuild right. and, and, and not just hold out till the end, yeah. but actually be ready to start to rebuild on the ash heaps of yeah. secular society yeah. with the tools God has given us. Amen. So don't be confused. If you're listening to this podcast and you are even remotely thinking about starting a business we are going to push you into that direction. We're not. We're unashamedly wanting to see Christian businesses start. And we want to be able to walk you through step-by-step step that process. So there's a host of resources coming with that. Super excited. Um, so really what we want to do here is we want to jump right into the interview and talk to uh, John Crawford. Nathan wasn't here for this one. There's a time conflict. So this is just me and John. And we hope you enjoy it. I'll tell you, do you know we live in a modern slave state? Modern slave state. The recent, the president's recent State of the Union address, we heard about hiking the tax on inherited assets. And if you include state inheritance taxes in that, it would put the rate around 65% on average, going as high as 68%. 68%! You think you own your stuff? Really? Amazing. In fact, I'll tell you this. Who knows what that number is? We went to war. By the way, a comparison on the inheritance taxes, compare that to the Roman Empire. They had an inheritance tax, complicated system, but probably around 5%. Make that comparison. We went to war with the British over an import tax of somewhere in the neighborhood of 1% to 2%. Today we have income taxes that go as high as 40%. 
20% was good enough for Pharaoh in the Bible. Modern slave state. Look at this. Consumer debt up 1,700% since 1971. 1,700%. Look, the Great Recession, it knocked a little bit of sense into us. But you know what? We're still addicted to debt. If you add our, our uh, consumer debt, add our share of the, the national debt, come on, debt slaves. And you know what? We don't even see that this has happened, right? You've heard of boiling a frog, right? Put the frog in the boiling water and he'll jump out. But if you put him in warm water and you slowly bring it to a boil, he'll never know what happened to him. We live in in 20 times the change that we did 100 years ago and we don't even see that it's happened it's been imperceptible to us do you think a lack of understanding of God's law in the civil realm the church's lack of understanding of God's law in the civil realm has anything to do with this do we think that a reticence to apply God's law to the civil government has anything to do with the fact that we are currently in shackles. God thinks so. You shall carry much seed into the field and gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. You see the connection? You know what else? As a nation today, we're infertile as compared to 100 years ago. Just stick with me for a minute. Average male sperm count in 1929, 100 million sperm per milliliter, 2010, five. Just let that sink in for just a minute. Endometriosis, right, causes infertility. 1921, 20 cases, 5 million today. There is a barrenness that exists today in our nation that did not exist 100 years ago. So we have, we have John here. We just listened to the video, and it is very important stuff. I'm really excited to dive into this subject. There's all kinds of areas that we need to address. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today, Gary. Great. Great. Yeah, the conference, uh, you know, specifically, I had listened to all the, the lectures and the sermons from that conference, and yours was extremely important, especially, you know, in terms of this show where we talk about business ownership. Yours really hit on some key issues that I found as really critical when we're talking about fruitfulness, faithfulness, and, and all the things that go along with being good stewards. Um, I, I left I left your lecture. I turned it off. I remember specifically I was I was at work and I'm I'm listening to it in the background and I remember just turning it off after listening specifically to the clip that we just played and thinking we are we are barren. We are becoming and we are a barren country, although it doesn't appear that way to those of us who are, might be on the inside culturally. We're, we're here, we're looking from kind of the outside of the glass 
we, we can't tell all the issues that are going around us, but, but I, I came into that thinking America is one of the greatest countries in the world. And I left thinking we have become barren. So I, I guess my first question after hearing that, and we're going to make the segues into business ownership, what do you mean by we have become barren, John? Um, good question, Gary, and I think, you know, in a, in a very basic sense, obviously, barren, um, and using that word, I'm, I'm talking about unproductive, unfruitful, um, and, you know, we have some of those examples used there in the talk, and, and we talk about the very natural sense, you know, we've stripped our country, in our country, we've stripped our soil, the nutritional content in what we produce is much, much lower these days. Our stores and restaurants, they're, they're packed with food but they're not packed with nutrition, per se. And so on a whole, we are literally bearing less fruit, bearing less fruit, whether it be in regards to our food or our procreation. Um, but it's important because it doesn't stop there. I mean, if we think about the number of people employed today as a percentage you know, of our country by those employed by the state, and, and think of the stranglehold the state currently has on our liberty, this also necessarily results in a less productive society overall so we say we're unproductive we're very quite literally whether it be our soil our food um our freedom we are we have become much less productive people Hmm. you know that the hard part is to to the average person that's hearing this they're not going to think that we typically as americans do not think that we're not being productive that we're one of the greatest countries in the world what is it where is the disconnect well, I think a lot of times it's our, it's our, you know, and I think I used the example maybe in the talk way back, which was, you know, it's kind of like boiling the frog. You know, yeah. if you just, you know, throw him into boiling water, he hops right out. But if you, you know, slowly bring that water to a boil, he never knows what happened. Yeah. And so that's a lot the case. We think, oh, things are great. Um, and in, in, in so many ways they are, right? There's the productivity uh, today versus 100 years is, is huge, and we can get into that later, but... Um, by what standard are we measuring it up against? So we're the greatest, most productive country in the world. Well, you know, first of all, I might take issue with that. Second of all, um, what are we comparing it to? Because if we're comparing it to what could be, um, we're hugely unproductive, and it's happened over time um, and slowly, and so we kind of don't acknowledge uh, that it's happened. It's kind of like when you look at pictures of your kids. Uh, you look you know, at pictures three years early, and you're like, wow, they've grown up you know, like crazy. But you didn't see as it as, as it was happening. I think that's that's part of the reason why we don't openly talk about it or acknowledge it. Wow, yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, obviously, if we begin to diagnose the the reality of that issue, we begin to look at some of the the, the economic indicators that would show that that would be the case. The next logical question is, what in the world causes barrenness and and I'm not just talking about pragmatically, but biblically, foundationally, what causes barrenness in a country that, that seems to be, not even if it seems to be, just essentially what is the causal effect of barrenness? Do you think? Sure. Yeah. Well, well, so in a one-word answer, you know, disobedience. <laughs> so <laughs> when God tells us that you will be less fruitful if you don't abide by um, my law, hmm. uh, what, what the disconnect is, we have the theology sometimes. We say, okay, I don't understand. You're telling me if society is disobedient, they become barren over time. 
that's a curse. That's really weird. I don't, I don't get it. Well, some hear the word curse, you know, blessings and curses. We, we, we hear curse and we think lightning bolts or spells. Um, but it's not really like that. A, a people that have rejected the true God and essentially divinized themselves, they necessarily seek to control everything. And so the implications of that people's rebellion really just works itself out along the lines of God's design. So let, let me bring that down to a really practical example. Sure, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, use, I'll use the food again. Um, think of it this way. At the beginning of the last century, there were somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, 6,000 American apple varieties. Okay. At the close of the end of that century, there were about 100. Hmm. So you say, okay, who needs another 1,500 varieties of apples? Well, we do. And you say, well, why do we need that? Well, in, in a very practical sense, the ability for those, um, those fruits to ward off pests and disease. So what happens is when they can't do that, it results in a lower immunity of that food source. And when that's happening across the board um, with our, our food sources, and we are what we eat, we also see a lower immunity across the board with, with us as people. And so, you know, we can't fight off cancer these days. I mean, it's always been around, but now it's almost epidemic. So when God says, hey, you know, it's less, you're going to be less fruitful and there's going to be more disease, um, this is, you know, a a very practical example, but yeah. it's not enough to just say that. You got to ask yourself, okay, well, what happened? I get it. Okay, goop the apple example, six thousand varieties. Now you've got a hundred. Our immunity's, you know, hitting the dirt. Um, something's not working. Well, what happened? Well, if you just take this one example, let's go back to I think the eighteen sixties, eighteen early eighteen sixties. The federal government established the Department of Agriculture. In that same year there was an act that was passed that gave each state the right to claim 30,000 acres of federal land for each senator and representative if the land would be sold and the money used for the construction of land-grant colleges, which were agricultural and mechanical colleges. So this is a direct subsidy that was bad enough, but even worse, at that point in time, we had essentially turned over agricultural advancement to the federal government and pulled it out of the hands of entrepreneurial farmers. So from there, the Department of Ag did vast amount, amounts of data gathering, and they provided education and benefits to farmers. And, but in all of this, we gradually lost free agriculture. Hmm. Then came the New Deal. Then came an entire system dependent on chemical fertilizers, imported nitrates, hybrid seeds that inherently don't reproduce. And so there's a movement against all of this today, but we need to understand you know, what happened. So when we go back and we say, okay, what happened to the apples? Um, was it a lightning bolt curse because, you know, because America was turning away? And by the way, I'm not saying God can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm not, I'm not the first one that has used the apple example. Augustine did it, city of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. But what I just described over the last century, so it's not fire from heaven, but it's a curse nonetheless. When the state gets out of its jurisdiction, does not follow God's law, there is cause and effect. God says you will be less productive. That is exactly what has happened. So the, the state did not stay in its lane. It broke some traffic laws to boot. And worse yet, the, the church enabled it to yeah. do so. Yeah. And so this is, when we say what's the cause, well, it's disobedience, but people, you know, we don't think in 500-year increments like we should. God says, you know, we should have a different time preference. Mm-hmm. But when we do, we look and we say, oh, I see that. I see when, when we disobey and we 
we basically, uh, you know, provide more jurisdiction to the state, make it more of a god instead of our god being the god. Um, these kind of things happen, and all of a sudden, that trips a series of things. And a hundred years later, um, it's epidemic, and we are quite literally barren. And then we're surprised when we look at scripture and it says, "You will be barren. You will be less fruitful." Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that helps, but yeah. Kind of a basic example that shows kind of the cause behind it. Right. And I think what's critical there is what actually happens, and specifically here when we're talking about business ownership, is that you remove that, that entrepreneurial spirit from the individuals and it gets handed over to the, the government, and in our case, the United States government. Yep. And so they, they take it. They actually become, they, they take that spirit and they become far more aggressive than than obviously they jump lanes to do it but in order to to keep it and to maintain it now not only are they taking that spirit but now they have they're in, they have a competitive spirit as well that's right yeah so Absolutely. so we end up we end up identifying the issues we end up realizing the spiritual implications of the problem so uh, you know obviously we we then begin to look at some of the bad fruits that have been institutionalized within the system we have to ask ourselves a problem of this magnitude, and, and this is a, a problem that is of extreme magnitude because it's been happening for a very long time. Just as you said, you used the same illustration as you said in the lecture. The, the water has been turned up, and it's getting to the boiling point, and we still have very few people acknowledging that we're even in the water or that the, it's even being turned up. So the question is, for those of us who are beginning to realize these foundational spiritual issues, is, is something like this reversible on a national level? Absolutely. I, I think that it is. In fact, um, first of all, you know, productivity gets, uh, gets hammered by, by strictures on liberty that we're talking about. Um, uh, you know, but terrorism and war have disastrous effects. So we don't, you know, we don't know what lies in the future. Um, in the short term, it may get worse before it gets better um, because we're so deep in. Um, but in terms of it being reversible, one, my, my eschatology is optimistic. I'm a firm believer in that the long-term trend line always goes up and to the right. Sure. I just believe that. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we went through a couple of centuries where we were very adamantly playing God. Um, Agricultural and medicine are two big examples that we can see in sight. Um, But what I think people fear the most, and perhaps rightly so, in terms of personal comfort, maybe the biggest boon to freedom um, in the future, and that is bankruptcy at the federal level and further decentralization that we're we're bound to see, because it is turning around. Um, And as we see that, uh, I think it's also important to um, to remember that the church is the center of the society as we see this turn around. As the church goes, so goes the society, period. Yeah. So if we as the church got ourselves into this mess, then I'll point my, hand, my finger at the state or, or this group or that and say it's their fault we're in this mess. Um, the church has the power. Yeah. Um, the church is the center of society. So we got ourselves into this mess. We need to be very tuned in with our role with the coming changes. We need men and women who know God's word 
and its application to every area of life. And we need these people in every single local community mm-hmm. because we're going to see um, more decentralization. We're going to see these you know, centralized institutions really start to come down, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to hurt in some ways. But as it does, it needs to, hand, it needs to fall into the hands of, of men and women who, um, who know God's word inside and out how to apply to all this stuff. Amen. We yeah. truly need that reformed doctrine. We need reformed worship. Um, and we need, um, we need people that know the Bible. So I think it's reversible. Um, and I think the church will be front and center um, in that reversal. Um, there's just, you know, there may be sticky stuff between here and there. Right. Um, I guess is the point. Yeah, that's good. No, that's really good. So one of the terms that, that you've used and trying to maybe flesh out this definition a little bit is the term coven- the covenantal nature of fruitfulness and understanding that there there is an aspect in which God has designed the universe in such a way as to bless obedience, and there's pendulums that swing on both sides of this argument. So I guess maybe flesh out a little bit, you know, um, and we're equating this to a business owner who, on a day-to-day basis in the marketplace, is handling things in in a way that that is a stewardship in, in all areas, from the way he's stewarding his employees, their time, their giftedness, to the finances of the company. And so I, I guess I'd just like to flesh out that, that phrase, the covenantal nature of fruitfulness. Sure. I think in, in, its, in its simplest, uh, it, put simply, it's just cause and effect. Okay. So God relates to men by covenant, and we, we believe that this is not a random universe because you know, the pagan has no reason to believe that his actions today will have the same results tomorrow. He has no, he has no basis for that. Right. Uh, you and I have a basis for that. As God's people, we do. And we understand that there is a supreme authority that determines right and wrong. And there are ethical stipulations for how you run your business mm-hmm. and anything else. And with that, God does bless and he does uh, curse. And um, so it's just, in, in its simplest terms, it's just cause and effect as applied to, you know, whatever the endeavor, if it's, if it's business, um, if you want to have a fruitful um, business in general, um, you know, follow God's laws. Um, and that doesn't, I don't want to, you know, there's, there's a, obviously God's grace enters in here in a huge way, but this is part of God's grace. He gives you the tools. <laughs> you know, right. um, that's a beautiful expression of God's grace. Um, and when we screw up, we know we have a, a redeemer. But I think when I say the covenantal nature of, of fruitfulness, it's it's just that. It's there's cause and effect in the world that God created, um, and obedience breeds the one, and disobedience breeds the other over time. Yeah, yeah. So, and as I wrestle through this and understanding that, man, God, you know, and I mean, I guess not to throw any specific individual or groups of people under the bus. There's there's been certain ways of thinking about business to where such a dichotomy was placed between the secular and sacred that to even assume God would bless your efforts in work was seen as um, was seen as sinful because we're we're just we're waiting for everything to end. Things are going to get worse over time, and as those things happen, there's really no point to be involved in any of this other than just your basic necessities. And right. And so what, what we would see is we, we would see a, a, a strong response to things like 
for instance, the prosperity gospel, that God is going to bless you, and basically it's this investment pyramid scheme kind of thing. How is understanding God's covenantal nature with work and with uh, obedience to his law, how is that not the prosperity gospel? So, great question, and I think I think it's a very practical question. Um, and I think there's probably three, it's kind of a, a three-pronged answer here. One is, the prosperity gospel in itself still abides by this covenant framework in a sense. Mm-hmm. It just does something really drastic to the first point. Instead of God being supreme and the governing authority, uh, the governing authority of the covenant, man himself is a supreme authority, i.e. name it and claim it equates to I am God and I determine the course of my life. Right. So the first big flaw there is, is you know, it's a, to- it's, a, it's a totally different scenario because um, I'm not acknowledging uh, God as God, uh, as the sovereign. In a really weird way, I am becoming the sovereign in my life. Right. So that's, that would be my first contrast there. The second thing is so many times we're not thinking in terms of the corporate reality. In other words, if, if I do this, then my business will be blessed. Well, what if you got a business, uh, somebody in your business, so you're, uh, you know, you've got a, uh, an executive in your business, and he's not abiding by God's laws. Do you think that you doing, you know, walking the straight and narrow and executing your business responsibilities day in and day out, do you think that's, you know, that you're going to be blessed um, despite the fact that, you know, there's somebody, you know, that maybe be fixing your business uh, based on their practices. And so what happens is the prosperity gospel doesn't really connect the corporate piece. Um, and I say corporate in terms of a contractual organization like a business as well as a covenant institution. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one thing we don't get. The other thing is the time preference. Like I can make changes today in the way I conduct myself in my business. And you know what? It may be 10 years down the road before I really see those fruits. Prosperity gospel says, you know, hey, I do this, and I see those fruits tomorrow. Isn't this great? <laughs> right. You know, that, it doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so I think, again, the corporate reality, that our time preference are really important. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's good because uh, it's, it's basically, it's taking some biblical concepts and it's, tr- it's Americanizing them, you know? It's, yep. it's saying yep. here now and for me, you know, and yeah. there, there's no, there's no real communal aspect, both, as you said, uh, from a, from a covenantal aspect, nor from a community aspect. It's very individualized. So that's, that's helpful. Right. So, yep. so, uh, you know, the, the next aspect here would be for those, those who are specifically listening to this show. And, and they are Christian. They are Christians who own businesses. The the obvious question is, and I, I feel that these questions haven't really been pressed for for a very long time. Now there are faithful faithful churches and and pastors historically who have pressed these issues and created some very culturally uh, in tuned aspects of of entrepreneurialism. Um, but so I have to ask this today, and I, I'm. And I guess to you now, do Christian business owners play a role at all 
in any of this, when we're talking about the barrenness of the United States of America, and we're talking about the aspects that the church specifically will have to answer to and address, the, the guy who is, who is taking the responsibilities of a business owner, who for a very long time hasn't seen the, the, the covenantal nature of that and the very uh, um, biblical aspect in which he's functioning day and night, which is inescapable regardless what you do, what role will these men and women play in, in calling that culture to a, a solid, uh, consistent view of biblical business ownership? Did that make I sense? Think, yeah. yeah, it does. It does. Um, and I guess let me say first, it, you know, with all the examples, it may sound like I'm not a farmer. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I've, I've, uh, I've been in business uh, for the past 15 years, um, grown from a small entrepreneurial business to one spread out from coast to coast. And I've, I've learned a lot you know, during that time. Um, and I feel like the business owners and those that work within businesses, as, as individuals, we, we, have, um, we, have a, we play a critical role. Uh, and let me say this, a, a few, I think it was probably about 10 years ago, um, I was in business just for a few years, and I, I remember picking up, I bought this book called The Integrity Advantage. And the, the subtitle is How Taking the High Road Creates Competitive Advantage in Business. And I just remember thinking, you know, really? Um, you know, integrity and trust are God's prescription, so it shouldn't surprise us that this constitutes an advantage over those that do not have it. Um, businesses that you can trust will be more successful than those you cannot. And I was like, you know, I should get to write a book on that. But um, so I would kind of rephrase the title. I'd say, you know, in our worldview, it's the obedience advantage. Yeah. Um, and those who conduct their businesses in terms of God's law will be blessed over time, and those who do not will be less fruitful. Now, I know there's exceptions to this. We can go to the Banana Republic or other cultures, really cultures of deceit, and that's part of the judgment on their society, i.e., they can only get ahead. <laughs> by doing um, uh, immoral things. Mm-hmm. And I think, that, again, that's part of the judgment, and the church needs to evangelize those cultures and disciple them well. Um, but I'm saying in general, uh, you know, if you ask the question, you know, uh, as to which, which business has a better chance of being successful, those that, you know, follow God's commands or those that, you know, uh, run in opposition to them, I would say, well, of course, those that operate in terms of, God's laws. So, um, we as Christian businessmen and women, we can do that. And and those that the closer we the helm of setting the value setting, setting um, uh, the um, just the day and day activities and the values for businesses, we, we can play a pretty critical role. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a there's also something to watch out for. You know, as Christian businessmen. Um, You've heard the saying, you just put it this way, you've heard, me, you've heard the saying, me think thou doth protest too much. <laughs> so when you have the businesses and we, you know, I don't think you have to call yourself Integrity Ventures. Mm-hmm. Um, because the fact of the matter is you are a business. Mm-hmm. You have non-Christian men and women out there that will cut your throat and bowl you over. They want to. Right. They are standing, they are standing on the ground of common grace and could care less about your overtures of godliness. Right. So, so then as businessmen, Christian businessmen and women, we have to say, so what do you do? 
well, in a lot of sense, it's just just do good business. Yeah. You go win, and, and you give God all of the glory, and that's it. It's not that much different. You, you conduct your business on biblical principle. You're smart. You work incredibly hard, and then when you win, you give God the glory. And when you don't, you still give him glory, and then you learn from your mistakes. Because hmm. um, you've got this contractual organization called a business, and um, it, it would function just like, you know, if you take a Christian athlete, take a Christian runner, let's say, who must compete with a non-Christian athlete. If, you know, a Christian business must compete with a non-Christian business, much like those two, and if the runner said, hey, um, you know, I love, I love God, so I have an advantage here, so I'm, I'm good. Right. He should actually, he should be saying, I own the foundation for a solid work ethic and the miracle of the human body. Therefore, I will train harder and better than anyone else. And so, whereas I think sometimes yeah. we look for that That's real great. big advantage, I'm a Christian and I've got these overtures of godliness in and about my business and that will, that will carry the day. Let mm-hmm. me tell you, the competition out there loves that because they will, they will eat you alive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not enough for them. And so as Christian men and women, you know, we can, you know, we can take the book of Proverbs, just take 31 chapters in Proverbs and conduct our business according to it day in and day out. And I tell you, we have an advantage by doing that. Right. Um, so that's our advantage. We know the answers. So we should have an edge on finding them. We can, um, you know, we, we have the basis for good business. So a lot of other, you know, our competition, they guess at um, and they may be better at it in a lot of ways than us. So we've got to figure out how to be better than them. But I think that's, when it comes to Christian business, I guess it's a long way to answer your question. What's our role? We have a critical role. And that's just conduct our businesses the way God would have us to, give him the glory, and, you know, work really, really hard. Right. So often it's, it's actually not a shortcut. It's, it's a call to the, the long-term, going back to the time frame aspects, long-term faithfulness. And it's actually a call to work harder, but work harder out of a spirit of, of praise. I think it's uh, James B. Jordan who makes the case that we're to actually, where, where a lot of men may go wrong here when it comes to the, the ideas of working hard is that we don't do it out of a spirit of worship. We just do it out right. of a spirit of conquest only. You know, when the reality is we, we have to do this out of the this, this spiritual implications that that we have the right framework to do it. Therefore, we're actually called to do it better because we know that the blueprints, you know, or what God yeah. has given us to. Yeah, that's great. That's right. He gives us all the tools. He even tells us that we're all made really differently. Right. And he makes businesses different. Like, businesses are just groups of people, and so you have unique qualities in these people. And so he also gives us the basis for sometimes we work too hard. Right. Right. Um, we work too hard. We're not. We're not getting to certain things as individuals or as businesses. When he says, "You know, look over here. I gave you the basis for y- your uniquenesses. So catch on those. Work just as hard, and you'll find you'll go three times as far." So um, we have an extreme advantage. We a lot of times we just need to use it and understand that um, you know God has given it uh, to us, and we do have an upbringing. We just have to. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. It's it's amazing to think that the advantage that we have. Is, is actually the, to know the quality, but to go, that's, that it's simply not a shortcut, you know? That, and that's, for, for so long, we thought that that's what it was. As long as we had uh, evangelism in view, 
As long as we had somehow the proclamation of the gospel in view of our work, it didn't matter how good it was. Just get to the message of Christ. When it it just was completely inconsistent with the message itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I well, I appreciate your time. This is this is extremely helpful. I would encourage people. We're going to have in the show notes a link to that that sermon that you did at the God and Culture Conference. If people want to learn more, where would they go? They could go to uh, covenantaldivide.com. Okay. Um, I'll give a disclaimer here. I think there's a couple weeks here, maybe um, under a bit of construction. You can still go there. There's lots of just practical articles and content there. It's not meant to be a a media source so rather than here here's the top story and here's a commentary on it mm-hmm. um, uh, it's more just constant content you can go back and revisit um, if need be so that's there um, if uh, people want to head to that website great well John I appreciate your time and I hope to have you on the show on the future date Jerry, thanks so much thank you alright take care you too Hey guys, welcome back. This is Gary and Nathan, and that was our John Crawford interview. I apologize, I didn't give you a kind of a front-loaded understanding that we were going to play the first, uh, the four minutes of his God and Culture talk, which was a great, great talk in terms of understanding covenantal fruitfulness. So we'll leave a link to that YouTube video from the God and Culture interview. So Nate, what would you think of uh, the interview? Uh, I thought it went well, even yeah. though I wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it went better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just there's so much there. Um, just that clip in the beginning um, is just, it would draw anyone's attention. Um, just thinking about what he was saying. And I mean, honestly, I really wish I was there because there's so much I could have been writing down. And I need to go back and re listen to that whole thing. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Johnson. Yeah, John's a great guy, and he has his own business that he's running that it's continued to grow, and uh, he's he's doing really great with that as well. So it's really encouraging. So this is kind of a transition. We're going to be working on inter- new intros, new outros. We're going to be working on some commercials, some uh, sponsor stuff coming up. But it's really just going to be hitting practical business ownership principles like this and understanding that the covenantal framework is tied to the way you deal with business, uh, employee-employer relationships in every area of your life, really. Right. I know what I was going to say now. Okay. <laughs> the, um, when he was talking about being a part of a modern slave state, and what I thought about when he said that is how does that relate to Christian business owners? And you know, you could be a Christian business owner out there making six figures, but if you don't understand your own impact, if you don't take that and reach out to the culture and, and do things to change things, uh, then you might as well just um, be doing anything else. I mean, you're missing great opportunities to affect this world for the kingdom of God when you are just ignoring the community, the businesses, and the culture around you, and focus on what you want to do. And, and just, I don't know, that just hit me hard when he said that, because it's, it's true. Right. It's very true. Yeah, totally agree. So those are the things that really need to be reiterated time and time again, that we actually have 
a responsibility, right? Exactly. We have a, we have yeah, a, that's my point. a yeah, a responsibility to a wider culture and in fact to the whole world. So Christ is redeeming the world. The the Son of God has come in flesh, has died, and and is alive. Yeah. And because he's alive, he has called us to usher in his kingdom. Right. And it goes back to our very first episode when we we're talking about um, this world belonging to God and Him placing us where we are and, and the areas that you're in, the business you're in. I mean, you, have you asked yourself, and I think I just read this last night um, from um, Peacock in his book, Doing Business God's Way. Have you ever just said, God, why have you ordained my company? Right. You know, what particular purpose do you have for my company? Right. You know, because you are where you are for a reason. You're doing what you're doing for a reason. And to not ask those questions and to take your resources and your influence seriously for God's kingdom and in this world to cultivate something, it, what's the point? Right. A new boat? Right. I mean, really, what's the point? Boats are awesome. Right. But God's kingdom is so much more important than yeah. this temporal pleasure we have here. Right. And to be confused and think owning a business or the way I, I interact in the marketplace has absolutely no spiritual implication is to neuter some of the most important areas that you will be operating in in your entire life. Yeah. It's almost like saying being at home with my children is unimportant mm -hmm. because you're going to be interacting in the marketplace all the time. And to not be thinking Christian about that is to completely remove one of the most important areas that you can have an impact in this world. Yeah, don't be deceived to think because what you're doing is outside the four walls of a building called the church <laughs> right that it's not spiritual right everything you do is spiritual and that's because the church was never meant to be defined as four walls right so we're ready we're going to be hitting this hard so look for us every monday we want to motivate you especially on monday mornings kick you in the pants kind of stuff like get up get to work and love it enjoy it don't be unfruitful don't be uh, faithless in the way that you view your job so it's monday morning you're hearing this turn this thing off and get to it man yep get to work Thank you for listening to Reconstructionist Radio and the Reforming Business Podcast with Gary and Nathan. May you glorify God in all of your business dealings. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.